With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good afternoon and welcome to an On The Whistle, not, it's not special edition podcast, even though it feels like one. Um, I'm here joined with Johnny. How you doing, Johnny? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, pleasure as always, Pete. Pleasure as always. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's just you don't really know how to feel, do you? Really, at the moment, it's it feels like we're having end of season friendlies. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like yeah. Season's over, and we're just having a kick around over the park and seeing if anyone's decent. And that's basically all it is right now. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, it was a weird game. Uh, today because a 3-1 win should be you know even a 3-1 win when there's nothing to play for should feel special in some sort of way but I kind of felt like a real mix of uh, regret because I think that we learned some really obvious lessons out there today Uh, a little bit of anger because the way that we played um, signified the the season was over but we'd seen that performance on Thursday um, and th- then there's that kind of vibe where you're like, oh, it still didn't feel comfortable. It still felt like, you know, there was a yeah. bit of a threat. It was like just getting it over the line. So um, let's, um, let's, let's jump right into it because I think that there are um, many layers that we can peel uh, through. Like, firstly, what did you think of the starting lineup? I mean, we're, um, it's a dead game. Um, and there was a lot of sort of back and forth on on the twitter.com about it like how did you feel about um what Arteta did with um with the setup today 
Um, well, it was an interesting one, really. So there was good and bad. Um, I think most people were very happy to see Martinelli being given that chance through the middle up front. It's what we were all called for. Um, and, you know, we can go on to break down Martinelli's kind of impact on today's game, which I would say just, you know, uh, briefly was not, you know, not very impactful at all. However, what I would um, preface that with is that when we, myself and others, have called for Martinelli to play, we're not saying he's necessarily going to go in there and score a hat-trick every week. What we want to see is a prolonged you know, effort to keep him starting in that position because it's so difficult, especially for young players when they're trying to establish themselves, to come in and just rampage straight away. You know, you have to play yourself into form. And um, one of the things that we've asked for is that, you know, Arteta would be as liberal with his um, starting time as he has been with some of the other players who just don't really have the same potential upside. And Martinelli may actually go on to prove in this run and maybe, you know, at the start of next season that he just isn't going to be the solution we need. But for goodness sake, we need to have a look. So I was very pleased to see that. And, um, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you're looking at Willie Ann, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking, at you know, this is pre-game. <laughs> um I'm thinking, well, there must be about, you know, nine players who deserve a starting berth more than Willian does. We can't be pandering to his ego. We can't really be, you know, trying to keep him happy. It's irrelevant at this stage whether he's happy. And surely he's not the guy to be given minutes to. Um, but Sod's Law, just as Arsenal move in the way where when the pressure's off, they start putting in uh, big performances and scoring some nice goals. Um, Willian's obviously the same and uh, bend it like Beckham turns up in the last couple of minutes and just um, puts big sound to the sword. So, you know, uh, with regards to the starting lineup, there were certainly ups and downs uh, that you could initially um, look at. But when we reflect back after knowing the result, um, yeah, you'd have to say that, some of the players, most of the players who were given opportunities took that opportunity and showed and put in a good performance. But unfortunately, I know I won't be alone as an Arsenal fan who just thinks, well, it's just a little bit too, you know, it's too little too late. And putting on an exhibition against Big Sam's mighty army who are now going to be playing championship football next season. That was a highlight. Gutted, Sam. Gutted. Have that, you mug. Get Go back ahead. down where Lucky you believe. Exactly. Yeah. But um, but ultimately, you know, the game meant nothing and we've got bigger fish to fry in and outside of the club. Um, but one thing's for sure, when we essentially watch football for entertainment, all, every single goal in that game was world-class and it was fantastic to watch just from a technical standpoint when it comes to the finishing. Yeah, I think my grandma used to say, isn't the saying in London a little bit like after the Lord Mayor's show? Yeah, an, an East London saying, um, yeah, th- there were there was uh, there was the good and the bad in the lineup, and some of the good was also bad. You know, like Bukayo Saka when he broke onto the scene was one of the best left backs in the Premier League, top three left back in the Premier League, and um, 
I think that he could be as good a left back as as Kieran Tierney. I've said it before and got absolutely rinsed for it. But he was left back today. He was absolutely devastating. So it was good that Arteta recognised that Bukayo Saka is probably a better left back solution than Granit Xhaka, but bad because now we're out of uh, out of all of the competitions and out of you know top eight contention. Um, I like to see Martinelli there in total agreement with you. You know there are. Um, there are bad performances that you can love um, and there are bad performances that you can hate. Martinelli yeah. is a bad performance that I am absolutely willing to take on the chin. And I take that on the chin for 10 games. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other lesson that I think we learned today, uh, even, even two shit midfielders in a midfield is better than Thomas Partey trying to pin uh, an entire midfield on his own. And, Newcastle United were completely nullified the week before and they scored four goals past Leicester at the weekend. West Brom mostly nullified with two bang average midfielders. And you know what? I just came out of that game thinking if if we if we just played Thomas Partey and Moel Nenny in um in that Villarreal game, what would would there be have been a, a different outcome? You know, would Pepe have got on the ball in more dangerous positions with Smith Rowe and Erdegaard had had uh, more opportunities to create for Aubameyang. You just look at, you know, just a, a complete basic playing players in the correct positions um, without overcomplicating things. And I know it was West Brom, but w- West Brom were fighting for relegation and Arsenal were playing for nothing. And we came out of that with a 3-1 victory. And you're just like, if we'd just had a more confident starting eleven last year that felt more normal. Not last year, like you know, last Thursday. Could we have come away with something better? Was the ultimate lesson that Arteta learnt today? Don't galaxy brain things that don't need to be galaxy brains. You know, just play players in the correct positions and don't overcomplicate it with this squad of players. It, it, it's, it's very true. You know, I, I agree with that. There, there's a few things that I took out of it as well in terms of. Um, it's interesting you bring up the point about Saka uh, at left back. And, um, you know, I've been sitting there thinking that it would be, I've tried to um, visualise, if you will, or try to, you know, imagine what what I feel Saka will grow into as a player, who I think he will grow into as a player. And it's not just in terms of like kind of technique, you know, how he actually plays. It's like almost his impact on the game and how he can fit into a team. And a name popped up today, which I never even thought about before. It didn't even uh, spot up on my radar. And that's probably because of the whole left-back thing. But it was David Alaba. And basically, Alaba, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, is obviously plays full-back for Bayern Munich, has done for years in like a world-class Bayern Munich team. But he's also captain of Austria. And for Austria, he plays like centre midfield because... The standard of football is very different. When you're playing for the best team in the world or one-off, they just like, you know, even at our level of football, where you start playing in a good team and they go, mate, we might need you at right back for 20 minutes. And you go, yes, please. But if you're playing with some shit team, you're like, I'm in the hole. Every, everything goes through me. I'm an absolute different gravy to most of these fucking mugs. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm the star player. So... It's interesting because I didn't really think of left back. I'm not saying that I'm convinced it would be that, but I never really thought of left back as a real solution for Saka. But when he plays it, it's not just kind of 
you know, he's filling in the gaps. He absolutely sets the world alight from left back. And the reason also why I talked about Alaba is because he's one of the only other players that I've seen be able to have a game-changing uh, performance from left back. He can actually be the best player on the pitch from left. Kieran Tierney, I mean, the, the problem is, is for Saka, if there was a future at left back, is Kieran Tierney is one of our best players and he already does that himself anyway. So we've got less of a need at left back when Tierney's fit. But the fact that, like, like Alaba, Saka can play literally anywhere and put in solid class, class performances... Um, you know, one of the things that makes a lot of players world-class is their ability to plug in and play anywhere and just be quality all the time. City have it with so many of their players where it doesn't really matter where they're playing. They just play wherever and they're always going to be wicked. Yeah. Um, I mean, De Bruyne plays up front, for goodness sake, you know. Um, so that was one thing that I um, kind of uh, looked at. And, and, and it kind of tangentially uh, connects to the other point I, I want to make, and that is that... Um, when we look at a potential signing for Arsenal um, and we look at a player who could come in and make an immediate impact and give us something that ultimately there's still question marks as to whether we have. And that is Pereira on the other team. And I've been looking at this guy for a while anyway, you know, and I'm I'm not going to pretend that I've watched every minute of him playing in the Premier League because I haven't, but I've watched him in the highlights. So I was looking forward to seeing this Arsenal game so you could get a closer look at him. And he looks the real deal. He really does. He doesn't look like he's, you know, getting lucky to be playing in the Premier League. He he looks solid at Premier League level, looks dangerous, smart ideas, good travelling with a ball, not rapid fast, but fast enough to run away from defenders. You know, um, and you don't need to be have Theo Walcott pace um, to be effective in the Premier League. You just need to be quick enough to keep defenders off you. But he had a, has a lovely uh, left foot. Really, you know, his his efforts on goal all looked dangerous. You know, you know that's the other thing. One of the things we have as an issue with Willian, and we will end this with a positive on Willian at the end. But um, I'm going to say in general with Willian, when he shoots and stuff, it's all it's often very timid. The shots that get off, whereas Pereira looks like he's got a bit of a hassle bank on him. And that would be lovely to see that kind of danger coming in, um, you know, from the flank and uh, having a player like that who could really cause trouble. And I think he could add something to our team. So those were my kind of standout points. Yeah, it's... um... It's, it's incredible to have a player of Saka's talent. And I actually, actually thought that that was a, another key lesson. And maybe it wasn't a key lesson, but I, I, maybe I'm just trying to push it as an angle, as a new agenda item. But, you know, Smith, Smith Rowe and Saka lit, lit up the game again. You know, the, when Arteta is trying to put together a plan for the summer, he really does have to look at what having young, hungry players that understand the magnitude of Arsenal Football Club, you know, what that does um, for, for, for the football and the style and the energy. And I, 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 don't know, I don't know what happened today, but I really felt like the, the balls that Saka was putting in the box, there was a, every single one seemed like it was whizzing in front of goal. Every single one seemed like it was built for Aubameyang on Thursday night. You know, like dangerous, um, dangerous angles, well-timed runs, um, consistent quality um, over and over again. And I, I thought the goal that um, Smith Rowe took looked easy, but that was um, that was some incredible Sick. technique, like really, really, really good. If 
Smith Rowe can add goals to his game next season. My word, like what a, what a player we've got. And, and really that 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 is the key, one of the key misses this year. No one seems to score goals yes. at Arsenal. So if you can start getting young players um on the score sheet, you've got Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, Erdegaard when he's on form, um, you know, probably has 10 to 15 goals. Like it, it, it's the makings of something exciting. Um, you know, that that's that's <laughs> that's the you know the, the the million dollar question if you like how to get these guys scoring goals but I'll, I'll raise you that about you know wouldn't it be nice if Smith Rowe started scoring goals he has to start scoring goals like don't get me wrong like he's a young player and obviously he gets patience he's one of the brightest sparks at Arsenal but if he wants to be a top level player it's not enough to just be very good on the ball and be as dynamic as he is he will have to score a lot more and he can he's completely uh, capable of doing it I really really like Smith Rowe as a finisher actually he um, looks brave in front of goal he doesn't panic he doesn't freeze up you see so many players who get tense in front of goal he doesn't that goal as you rightly pointed out was absolutely wonderfully taken that that's when I say all of the goals were realistically world class they were they were world class and I'll include Pereira's in there because at the end of the day you're running from you know, basically your penalty box and smash it in the top in the bottom corner. That's a world class goal. And you know, Smith Rose to run in and take that on the volley. That is not easy to do. It's just really not. It was really nice from Arsenal. Great uh, build up and a really smart finish. And that will give him the confidence. I hope to you know take more of those opportunities. And uh, it's, it is about some of, some of the time with these young players, them learning to take the responsibility because not other, other people aren't necessarily going to step up. And it's interesting that you, and I'm not being decisive either way on it, but I'm going to just throw it out there. It's interesting you name, you, you know, you put Erdegaard out there. And for me, when I talk about someone like a Pereira, um, if you did get a Pereira, I don't necessarily think that you then need an Erdegaard. Like, I know they obviously play in different positions, but ultimately I see the solution to that number 10 role um, quite possibly coming out of, Emil Smith-Rowe or Saka in there. Um, I don't necessarily know that you need an Erdegaard in there, but the problem is, is we can't play Smith-Rowe or Saka in there at the moment because we don't have the, the, the other quality from the wings at time. And because Pepe is so inconsistent, although he did score an absolute world-class goal today, it's delicious. Um, you know, I, I think that whether or not he stays in the starting lineup, well, you know, if, if we had a quality replacement, I think Pepe would find himself getting dropped again until he could really start to deliver some consistency, which I don't know he, at this stage he ever will be able to. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really, the jury's st- really still out on Pepe. As good as that goal was today, there were other bits just so frustrating. Um, you know, his, his range between ceiling and floor is so wide. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's so, it's so wide compared to so many, to probably any Arsenal player at, at the moment. He, he can be absolutely world-class, like in a game. Obviously that's not world-class. In, 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 in a moment. In a moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then at other moments he can be, not look like he's Premier League ready. It is that, you know, vast a spread when it comes to the performance he's putting in. So for me, if you could add someone like a Pereira, it may be that we don't necessarily need to go down the Erdegaard route. And I don't think due to being involved on Thursday night, he would have added anything into the pro Erdegaard camp 
because, quite frankly, that performance on Thursday was so shocking that I think everyone needs to take a bit of responsibility for that. And if you're a player on loan, it will it will have to work against you because you you know couldn't up your game in what was our biggest game, but ultimately was not the highest standard of football. Yeah, it's really. Um, it's, I, I agree on um, Nicholas Pepe. I, I I was writing to a friend on a on a WhatsApp group. Thank God as well. I was like, I don't understand how Nicholas Pepe has this propaganda machine that that works so hard for him, and you know makes out the the, the reason for you know some of his performances is just a hatred from Mikel Arteta. Like there was a there was a moment where. He messed up a half-yard pass and put it out for play before he scored his goal. And then he cuts him from out wide and unleashes uh, an absolutely outrageous strike a goal. But you, you, you don't get consistency. You don't, Nicolas Pepe rarely batters you. You know, it's, it's moments. And I think that he's got such a massive fan base because he's built for a YouTube, Twitter comps generation. You can always, there's always going to be three or four nice touches in a game, in a game, couple of couple of worldy shots, but he doesn't um he doesn't give you consistent pressure. Like Saka gives you consistent pressure when he's out wide. Smith Rowe, when he plays in the wing, is exactly the same. He's constantly dangerous, but yeah. um I think Nicholas Pepe is only dangerous in certain types of moment, and it's generally when you give him space out wide. So it it, it will be interesting to see what we do with him in the summer because um you need consistency in his role for the amount of money that we paid for him. Like, are we going to get that? I doubt it. Um, but then also at the same time, it's like, who's going to come in for him? And then you do have um, like the, uh, and somebody who doesn't get any positive propaganda for him is William. And you can't, un- like he was getting slander all game and people say, I don't see what he does. He created four chances today. Mm which is massive for an Arsenal team that creates next to nothing. And he scored that goal. And of course, he's not the solution um, moving forward. But it, 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 does, um, it does baffle how he's been. I mean, he was one of Chelsea's best players towards the end of last season. And I don't think any of us thought he was going to be a solution for every single game. But for him to score one goal in 37 is just staggering. And it's like that malaise went through all of our senior players. Like William doesn't score goals. Obama Yang stopped scoring goals. Lacazette stopped scoring goals. And I just wonder what, what do we ha- What does Arteta have to do to get those players scoring goals? Because under Emery, um, we had one of the best conversion rates in the premier league, despite shit performances. And now I feel like we're creating chances, but no one can score them. And that was, you know, that game shouldn't really have been three goals. It should have been five or six, considering the amount of balls we put across the six yard box. What's your, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, I, you know, look, I, I do think William had one of his better games. There's no question. I thought he looked decent against West Brom. I don't, I don't know if, you know, if that's the <clears throat> level of judgment we can put against it. Sorry, the, you know, the level he's of opposition, we should say that he's playing against, which is now obviously he's been certified as a championship team. So putting in good performances against championship teams, that is not going to cut the mustard when you're on, you know, 250, 300 grand a week. It's, it's just not good enough. So, um, you know, it, it, it's good It's good that he played well. And we don't want to just bang on Arsenal players all the time for the sake of it. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to come out of this game and say, look, well done. This is a good game from Willian. My, my points remain about him 
even in a good game, he doesn't really look like, you know, it's not like he ran his defender ragged. He doesn't go past players. His shooting is outside of that free kick was, was absolutely exceptional. Fantastic free kick. It was lovely to watch. Um, but you almost chuckle out of like, oh, OK, I didn't see that when that goes in. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think that even at his best now, it, it's not good enough for what we're going to need in that role in this setup, in any setup, realistically. And so today is a day where it, it's good to say, you know what, William, you, you did yourself some justice today. You performed well and you scored a fantastic goal. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. But the reality is, is he is no solutions. He is not the answer to any of the questions that Arsenal have. No, I, I think I think you're totally, you're totally correct there. I think um, you know the hope is that maybe someone from MLS does come in for him this summer. But I, I just, you know, knowing what the salary caps are in MLS, I just can't see anyone willing to foot that bill. Although he'd probably be pretty decent um, out out here, I, I just can't see anybody like, wanting to pick up his tab. Um, one one thing that did kind of irk people. Um, and I wanted to get your take on uh, Danny Ceballos still, still starting games for Arsenal, despite his loan move most certainly being terminated this summer. Like, it, are people being unfair? Is, uh, is, is West Brom in a relegation scrap? Is that the sort of game that you want to play um, an Aziz-type character? Like, what solutions did Arteta have out there today um, that, that would have led to a same sort of victory? Uh, no, I, th- I think this is um, justified criticism of Arteta's um, uh, lineup selection. I think that you know, for for the fact that people were pleased to see Martinelli give, being given a chance at centre forward, the continued uh, perseverance with Sabios is just is just bizarre at this stage when he's let him down. He's let Arteta down in key moments. Let's be clear about it. You know. Um, the red card it was significant. It's been very significant in the way the season's played out. And in general, his performances have at best been inconsistent. At worst, woeful. Re- the reality is, you know, I-, I can only think of kind of one, maybe two games where he's actually put in decent shifts. The rest of it's been pretty shocking from Tobias for a while. So when you are talking about having an Aziz or whatever, like, look, let's be realistic about it. Most people, not I, I can't speak for all Arsenal fans, I can speak for myself, and I know from what I hear, there's a lot, and I know from Twitter figures, there are a lot of people saying, get this dude out of the club now. Arteta out, it's time to go. I firmly am in that camp, so at the end of the day, you know, every game that we see him in there, I think it's just kind of a bit of a waste of time because I think ultimately he will have to go. Um, I don't think that's going to change with a you know, an upturning results based on beating West Brom at home. Um, I I think Thursday night was terminal ultimately. But again, if you even want to put out some good PR for Arteta, for the people who are still backing this guy, even though I think everyone should have worked it out, just play play all your kids, basically. Like... they should be checking IDs like bouncers at a nightclub. If you're, but just doing it the reverse way. If you're over eighteen, you ain't playing. That's what you know. The fact is, is if they were putting out kids, and I'm being a bit 
you know, facetious there over the top. But if there were five senior players and the rest youngsters, um, people at 20, you know, Aziz, we're giving Balogun a go. And again, Balogun still not getting game time. Really bizarre. Don't understand what's going on there. Um, have we got anyone, at, you know, at centre half who can kind of cut? Well, obviously, we know the situation with Saliba as well, you know, but basically have a look at some other players. Why not? These games are dead rubbers anyway. It's easy PR to be blooding players, even more doubling down on the fact that the result doesn't matter. It's more about getting to see some performances from people we haven't seen and therefore generating new hope. But yet, that that it's not to say that the boat's been missed because he has played Martinelli. It's just that it's never properly capitalised on. You've, you're always being given good and bad. And that probably encapsulates the way Arteta and his uh, tenure at Arsenal has gone, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, it's, it was learn something, learn something new. Yeah, um, and the good PR for Martinelli, it's not, we're not learning something new about Martinelli. We've, we've seen him, his whole Arsenal career, be a pretty devastating teenager. We know that he can play as a centre forward. Wasn't a great game today. Yeah, so what? But um, uh, Aziz looks powerful. He's fast. Um, put, him next to, put him next to Thomas Partey. How, how how much worse could it be than Sabayos? I know that we won today and, you know, we're picking holes in a in a 3-1 win, but it's it's picking holes in, um, you're right, missing an opportunity. Um, so, and, and that kind of leads me on to the next section. So, um, everything that I'm hearing, Mikel Arteta is not going anywhere this summer. He's getting the Unai Emery, uh, let's see what happens till Christmas um, move. And he's been doing a lot of... Um, a lot of press interviews um, over the last week. And one of the things that he said was uh, that he, it was time to get ruthless. It's normally not something that managers um, come out in public and say, it's normally something that you would hear in the press. We always heard it about Arsene Wenger. Uh, he's going to get ruthless this summer. He knows who's letting down. Um, and I, I actually thought today's lineup was an example of him not being ruthless. If you're being ruthless, Danny Ceballos is on the plane back to Madrid, letting yeah. go on his holidays now. So we've already seen that you know he can't really follow up on his words. I think the next um, the next big decision that's got to drop is David Luiz. David Luiz has been a calamity uh, for for years. He's come to Arsenal. He's not heightened the standards. He's not improved um, our output. We've declined through and through. He behaves like a child when things aren't going his way. He's bad. For the training camp, I mean, obviously he can be a great leader and a lot of the kids like him because of his prestige name. And we've got an opportunity to get rid of him. And I am, I think that the whole fan base is um, is waiting to see what Arteta does this summer. Because if, you know, this summer, like this game today was about PR wins and he didn't get as many PR wins as he should have. This summer is going to dictate how he is treated in the stadium next year. And if you want to talk about being ruthless and you sign David Luiz to another year's deal, you are you are dead with 70% of the fan base. Absolutely dead. And your job is going to be really difficult. Um, I just wanted to get your take on, um, firstly, uh, Arteta staying. And secondly, you know, what you thought about, you know, what you thought about the way that he's been speaking in the press this week. Um, yeah, you know, so obviously I respect the fact that you've, you've heard that he'll be sticking around. Um, I still retain hope that 
if the season continues to basically the board can say what they want about oh the manager staying this we're not selling the club they're, it's easy for them to say at the moment because there are no fans in the stadiums. They're not getting the same kind of visceral reaction that they would be getting in normal times. And it's a lot easier to say, we're not changing the manager, you know, when half the stadium doesn't walk out with half an hour to go. There aren't booze ringing around the stadium, you know, signs hang, hanging everywhere, planes flying over. Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen in the next four games. You know, they're not going to, you know, we're talking about maybe fans by the end of the season. But at the end of the day, when fans do cross that threshold, I do think it's going to be a much harder sell from the board saying everything's going to stay the way it is for a little while. Because I think some of this is just really bad PR, you know, and some of this will have a legitimate measurable effects when it comes to the business asset, which is the only thing that the Cronkies will um, recognise. And um, I I know in my WhatsApp group this week, one of the things that was being shared was about how um, out of this ESL fiasco, Man United have lost a £20 million um, training top sponsor. They've pulled out because of the fan reaction um, to the ESL. And... You know, when you're talking about 20 mil, that's not muck around money. That is that is attention-grabbing stuff. Now, that's Man United doing it. They have bigger deals than us. But if Arsenal start getting walloped with some stuff, if Adidas do go in there and say, listen, you know, we've we got some real issues here. Um, if a, a, a sizable bid does come in, um, in, in, um, in concert with Arsenal's share price starting to fall because of a number of different things as well. I do think these are things that might affect the ownership. And I also think that the more pressure the owners get under, I think they're more likely to bow to fan pressure when it comes to managerial appointments because they don't want to take on this task of replacing Arteta. But if um, there was an opportunity for Arteta to be a sacrificial lamb to take the spotlight off them, make no bones about it, they would do it. Vinay would do it, Edu would do it, all of these guys, and the Cronkies certainly would. So, yeah, you know, at the moment, it looks like he, because he hasn't been sacked yet, he may well be on till next year. That leaves me with, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm done, I'm done with a guy now. I, I just, I don't think there's anything he can do. Like, I feel like, it's not just what happens, because I had my criteria for his measurement. It was the manner of it. And I just don't trust him anymore. I don't trust his judgment and everything he says now. Um, because there was an opportunity after the poor run at Christmas where um, after he started making comments about we crossed this many times, so we deserve to score five goals or whatever he was saying. That kind of nonsense, like ramblings of a madman, you really question what's going on. And then he started to rescue some kind of, not just on-field performances from the team, but also some kind of respectability. You know, it, it wasn't that I trusted everything he said, but I, 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 he gained a bit of trust back with me and I was willing to see it. Now, for me, with everything that's gone on, I just, I just don't think he's the guy anymore. I really, really am convinced. And I think if it's not now, it's going to be at Christmas because I think all of the issues that he's done, there is nothing that tells me he's learned from any of these key, key critical issues that he's faced. 
I think he'll continue to make the same mistakes. They'll just manifest in different ways. Um, so, yeah, zero excitement about heading into another season under Arteta's stewardship. Um, and I do think that, as I say, we're kicking the can down the road because he will get sacked sooner or later. The only problem is, like what happened with Wenger, will probably outweigh some good managerial opportunities and end up ha- having to pull the plug mid- mid-season and then having to get, what, Freddie Lundberg in for three weeks and then forced into our appointment. And that's not really the way I'd like to see us set about things moving forward. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be money spent this summer. Um, my concern at the moment is Arsenal have a, a long and tenured history of opting for the strategy of inaction yeah. when um, when things are going badly with uh, the our exec suite bury their heads in the sand and they just hope that another expensive roll of the dice and maybe they'll get it right and. They simply cannot afford to do that this summer. Everybody at, l- at leadership level failed last yeah. season. And the Europa League put it all in perspective. Terrible recruitment, um, ter- terrible backroom staffing, terrible management, um, and, and terrible CEOing from Vinay, who, you know, this, this is a guy who sacked 52 people then yeah. signed Willian to a 250 grand a week deal to the outrage of fans and then 3 weeks later sacked Gunasaurus i mean this is not a man who's got good judgment and when there's no good judgment across the board something has to happen there has to be consequences to arteta there has to be a reduction in the amount of control that he's given there has to be somebody saying to edu say edu look You've made some good signings here, but you've also made some terrible, terrible decisions. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it, it's like, if if Vinay goes into next season and everything is the same and nothing changes and there's no investigation into what's going on. And look, there is no way that I know that there are things that go on behind the scenes that leave people aghast. Uh, Mikel Arteta is not doing a good job getting to grips with um, the pressure of fans wanting him out um, and somebody needs to come in and fix those issues. Is Steve yeah. round? Um, is he uh, a comfort blanket or is he a, a visionary coach that softens the edges of Arteta's way of thinking? He's a comfort blanket. He's a father figure to Mikel Arteta. You've got to change it up. Uh, the goalkeeping coach, if he's upset in the goalkeepers and he's not good enough and it's a badly kept secret that he's not good enough, what are we doing to change that? The form of Burnt Leno this season has been absolutely atrocious. Um, it's there, there are there are so many things that need to be fixed, but my fear is that they think that money is the solve. Spending another fifty million, spending another hundred million will solve it. Things won't get solved if you just carry on down the same path. And um, the the worry is that you know what what are the ruthless decisions going to be squad wise this summer? What did what did Arteta learn in the darkest hours, uh, and, and what is he going to change? Because he needs to make bold decisions that, sh- that that rock the foundations of the squad. And I don't know whether he's got it in him. I just don't know whether he's got it in him. And um, I, I think that he lost a lot of capital with the fans. Like you said, that you're done with him. I think lots of fans are done with him and just waiting for the inevitable to happen. But I th- there is an opportunity to change things and make things better. 
you know, there have been um, good performances uh, this season against good teams. There are points that we could have retrieved this season with just a few decent changes. I just don't know whether Arteta's got it within him to do it now. I think that, you know, he's wasted his opportunity. He's killed his reputation with the fans. And the most important thing is players now know that they can down him. He's in the Emery zone and two or three bad games and they're just going to tell him to fuck off and down tools. And I, I don't know what he can do this summer to address that and make people go to war for him. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's interesting, you know, what you're saying there. And, and I've got to um, kind of jump on your side on one thing as well. It's, it's not about sides. I get that anyway. It's not, it's not like that, but... The fact is, is I've got to be clear. Whilst I the, the bridges are burned with Arteta for me now, I've made that clear. I, I don't think there's a way back. But obviously, even though I think that Arteta has shown himself to be inadequate, this isn't all down to him. I'm not saying that. I don't think most people are. He has not been supported anywhere near in the right way to have given himself the best shot. But when I tell you or, or, or I say that I think he'll be gone by Christmas... Part of the reason why he'll be gone by Christmas is because he's not going to get supported right. But that's why I think it's an inevitability that he won't get through because I just don't think he's capable of doing it on his own, maybe ever, but certainly at this stage of his career. And I think it's done. Now, the reason why I have, I I kind of shudder a little bit when I think about, you know, when you talk about the big decisions that Arteta's got to make. What that sounds like to me, as someone who's done with Arteta, is a man who is fighting a losing battle, doesn't actually have the answers to the questions that we, the big questions that Arsenal face, and he's going to be out on some kind of fucking ego trip in the summer, trying to assert himself and prove that actually he can make the, you know, the big dick decisions and and make loads of big calls. And basically he's going to start carving the squad up with players who, let, let's pluck a name out here, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, for instance, right? Now, I'm not trying to sit here and say that um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is like the best player in the Premier League, but he's a solid Premier League player. And for us, he has put in some excellent performances in big games. When we think about how many guys go missing, you know, with the higher expectations and the higher pressure games, we have people that wilt. Whereas Maitland-Niles has put in massive performances. I'm thinking FA Cup run last year. Um, and uh, I think, uh, was it up at United as well? Where it, it just looks solid at fullback. Our community shield, excellent as well. And when I look at someone like that, whose career is hanging, Arsenal career is hanging by a thread. And I think ultimately, if Arteta stays, he won't be around. And some people, many people will be like, oh, well, like Maitland-Niles is hardly Zidane. He's not hardly Messi. You know, and, and I get that as well. But when I look at what Conte did when he went into Chelsea, for instance, and you've got a geezer like Victor Moses, who was looking like an absolute journeyman of the league, not really found his leg level, out and loan everywhere. And then suddenly he gets converted into a right wing back and he's in team of the year. He's, you know, one of the best players in the league. Certainly the one of probably the best player in his position in the league that year because he was an absolute revelation. And someone like an Aisley Maitland-Nold with a new coach, if they were given the opportunity to make that decision, whilst he was still part of the playing staff, then who knows? We might be able to be getting some more stuff out. You know, there's going to be a decision made about Joe Willock. And before anyone jumps on me, I'm not 
saying we should bring Joe in, all's forgiven because he had five goals and he's our answer. We don't know. Like, but the fact is, is he's, he's at least put the question out there. You know, I don't think Joe Willock ultimately will be good enough, but he certainly, you know, when you put a player out on loan, you go, go out there, mate, and make an impact. He's certainly done that. And for me, when you're in my camp and you think it's inevitability that Arteta will leave, I'm like, well, why isn't he just go and get the next coach in who can make these decisions on all of these players who are being, you know, lined up to either not get their contracts renewed or get sold to raise funds? Like, we re- these are next manager decisions, in my opinion. And for me, having Arteta on an ego trip trying to prove a point could just be detrimental to our, you know, future aspirations. But here's the here's the thing, Johnny. It's it shouldn't be Arteta's decision at all, right? There should be like th- things the things that Arsenal lack outside leadership, a clear vision. What the fuck are we trying to do? Okay, <laughs> let's just let's set the vision. We want to be uh, we want to be Dortmund 2.0. We want to be playing. Um, you know, highly technical, innovative football, and it's going to be exciting. Sets the tone for the type of players um, that you bring in. And then we are always going to play like this. And that's Vinay. Vinay should say, this is the way Arsenal play, and we're going to recruit to that. So this summer shouldn't be um, brought to you in association by Mikel Arteta. It should be brought to you in association with a vision that we want to be Dortmund 2.0. Then whoever you bring in... uh, fits the spec of the vision, not the manager. So that if you get rid of the manager, you're like, okay, we'll get rid of the manager, but we're going to get in Potter, Graham Potter, because he plays this style of manager. We're going to get in uh, Fonseca because he plays this style. So the players don't become afterthoughts. You know, like we went from Arsene Wenger football to Unai Emery football, and we kind of did a half-baked job of shifting to this negative style of football. And then we gave up after spending 200 million. Now we've got Arteta in and he's trying to build out. I like, the, you know, I like where his vision of football is going when it's on a good day. But we have to make sure that if we're going to invest 100 million this summer, that we that it's made by someone who's going to stay at the club. Yeah. Edu, Edu must be on shaky ground. He must be. Um, and Arteta is on shaky ground. You've got to bring someone in who's going to be here for five years that knows what the fuck they're doing if we're going to make these decisions because otherwise it's going to fall apart and then Vinay is not going to have a solution. Vinay is probably thinking about, you know, what Roberto Martinez can do or he's heard great things about Allegri and they're, they're different styles of football. So it's like the, the, the problem with the statement that you've made about Arteta trying to fucking do a big swinging dick thing this summer, he shouldn't be anywhere near the decision. Yeah, Someone someone who is going to be at the club for five years should do. And at the moment, I can't see anyone in that backroom team who's going to be here for five years. And that's, yeah. that, is, that is worrying. And Vinay knows Edu isn't good enough because he demoted him last summer, made him sit on a deck chair and tell everyone that he was happy about Mikel Arteta getting promoted to the same level as him disgraceful leadership but this is where we're at so we just got to hope that whoever's rolling that dice this summer gets it right and that Arteta can turn around his fortunes but it's so difficult once you lose belief of people in your decisions and that my last point on this um, and I see a lot of this and we've had it on this podcast the biggest problem with what happened on Thursday is it put it put a different context 
on shitty decisions we've seen all year. Yeah. You know, like when Arsene Wenger used to do stuff, he was so good at making decisions. Even when he made a b- bizarre decision, the, the common response was Arsene knows. Right? <laughs> that, that, a, a man that can get that from, a, from, from his own fan base is making correct decision after correct decision. Arteta had a little bit of that after the FA Cup win. You were like, oh, maybe Ainsley isn't that good. Maybe Bert Leno is better than Martinez. Maybe Saliba does need to go out on loan for a season. Yeah. But he's lost all of that. Maybe he's just a fucking rock star and we should just let him do what he want. And, and now you're like, maybe he just makes fucking bad decisions. And you, you're right. Like, are we going to let him decide who leaves? Daniel Levy, to his credit, didn't let uh, Deli Ali go in January. Yeah. He didn't let Danny Ali go to PSG because he was thinking who was the next manager going to be. Do we have that sort of leadership at Arsenal? I'm not sure. You know, it's it's a really good point and um, one where I'm 100% on the same side as you. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, quite expectedly, there's been a lot of chatter in the Arsenal sphere on Twitter this week. Um, has felt like a seismic week when it comes to, um, you know, the, the general morale and um, hope levels within the Arsenal fan base uh, and everyone's looking for reassurance and, and to vent, which is fair enough. And one of the things that people have been jumping on both of our Twitter um, this week is like, you know, saying who would like, if we get rid of Arta, who would you bring in and throwing out names there? Bielsa was one of the names who I think is a good name, by the way. Um, I think Benitez was floated out there as well. Um, and then this person posted the posed the questions and put Ranić in there as a potential um, thing, a solution as well. And it's like, look, if you're going to ask that, then you can put out your Bielsa's and your Potter's and your all of these. They're, they're one group. Ranić's something completely different. And I think that anyone who is kind of understanding the problems facing Arsenal will understand that if we had an opportunity to get all of those and you add Ranić to the list of potential solutions, that should be number one solution. Over any managerial hire, getting in a proven director of football who has pedigree with top teams, being able to impose a philosophy on a club and go through different various managers maintaining a high level, that is gold dust to us. If we could get that, that should be the number one priority, no questions asked. And then, like you say, I mean... I still feel like, for me, Arteta's done, but someone, I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure where you are on it, to be honest, but, you know, someone who's fonder with Arteta at this stage would say, let's see him have a go under a Ranić and see if he can crack on, you know? And, and, and that would have a little bit more kind of credibility than just saying, let's just keep going the way we are, in my opinion. So there's no question that... Um, the director of football would uh, be kind of number a number one fix. But um, that's not going to happen for the same reasons the manager's not going to get replaced. Because ultimately, as you rightly said, you've got a guy who is now running a club who doesn't actually know anything about football. Um, and even someone like, uh, you know, I, I don't know Daniel Levy's um, football playing career, whether he, he, he was a, um, a sensational talent who could have made it. But I suspect that wasn't the case, you know. Um, but the fact is, he's been running a football club for 
25 years so or, or longer. And so you learn football as you go. Vinay has not had a background in football in the same way and he's not got the experience. So he's he learning the job. Exactly. He he's learning the, the job and he's getting. So we need people who understand football, understand um, what it takes, understand protocols and procedures to get a club back moving in the right direction and, and, and where we want to be. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not convinced that we will end up getting what we actually need. I think that there's um, and that there are so many interesting names in world football that we could lean on and afford. Uh, Ralph Ranić. The vibe with him is that you know wherever he goes, he wants absolute control of Give every decision. <laughs> Give it but to if, him. Yeah, and if you are, but if you are, if you are Vinay. And you, you, you don't want to, he's, he's quite a meek guy. He doesn't want to impose himself on the football side of things. Then maybe a Ralph Ranić works. There's um, Paul Mitchell at Monaco. He's doing a fantastic job um, o- over there at the moment. He was at Spurs. Uh, he moved into the Leipzig system. And now, um, you know, I think Monaco are third um, in the French league at the moment. Um, then th- there, are, there are people like uh, Zork. Uh, Dortmund, if you wanted a, 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 to replace um, Vinay. And then there's Luis Campos. Lille are going to win the French League this season. Lille, a t- you know, a team that nearly went bankrupt, but that's because he's a genius. And um, I think you've got to pick your football leader to suit the style. But at the moment, we've got, like, Edu wasn't a standout, no. uh, a standout guy in the Invincibles. He wasn't banging the the table. He's not a leader. He's not shown any leadership. And most of his ideas seem to come from his super agent partners and, you know, the Brazilian contingent that he's brought into into the club. But something needs to change. And and you're right, look, Mikel Arteta, there are are good things about him, but he does need some sort of mentor. He doesn't need to be given more responsibility. He needs to have it taken away from him. And he needs to be put in a box, just like Nagelsmann is. Nagelsmann was put in a box at Hoffenheim and given the rules of the road. And he had a great team around him. When he went to Leipzig, he was told he wasn't allowed certain types of players. But he was given a box and he was supported in the correct way. And that's what happened at Bayern Munich. Arsenal got a a young talent and we were like, could we give you the responsibility for the vision, the scouting, uh, the, the coaching staff, the medical side of things, it's too much. It's too much. And my worry is that we're not going to slim that down. We're not going to clip his wings. And there's going to be no ramifications. It's just going to be give it another crack this summer. And that is just such a bad way to run a football club in crisis. Well, it's the legacy of Wenger, isn't it? You know, we've come from a... We've been a club that has been dictated to by one man, an emperor, an all-controlling... All um, king, if you will. Yeah. And the fact is, is that we've tried to move away from that power structure, but it's difficult because the people who were allowed to come in under Wenger and their inadequacies were covered up by his consistent, well, by the end, you know, top four, it seems good. But for me, it was mediocrity with some of the squads that we had. And then at other times, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people now will look back on Wenger's, you know, achievements with um, a renewed um, level of respect for him because we've seen the other side of it. But obviously I still think no matter what, 
he had to go when he did. Um, one, one, one thing I would say as well, because I wanted to bring this up, my, my friend was talking to me um, in the week and he, he said, there's one thing I'd like you to pull Pete up on. And uh, he basically said it's about um, the way that we as Arsenal look at ourselves as a team and want to play moving forward. And I'm kind of, um, you know, in on what you were saying as well, because that's how I feel in terms of we should be aiming to continue with fast, dynamic, you know, the the football, that quick passing. Um, but you were talking about being high possession. And he, and this is another thing I agree with him on, and that is that... One th- one point he makes, and I completely feel this way, is that when you look at Wenger's highest um, achievements, it came from a team where we were built around having athletes in our team who played very direct football. Yes, uh, you know, and at times we had counter-attack. But re- in reality, we knew that we were putting 11 men on the field who were going to be able to, first of all, physically compete. They were all mentally agile enough to be able to play um, different systems but understand their roles within a system and to be mentally um, resilient enough to keep delivering. But this idea that, you know, it's built on athletic, you know, to to call someone like Patrick Vieira an athlete is, is such an injustice because when you actually look at him, he's one of the most technically gifted players we've ever had. He's an excellent player. But, you know, building it around athletes as well as um you know technically proficient players and then saying can we get through our progressions much much quicker because Arsenal always have always been at their best when we have quick counter-attack in play but we've got to have pace pace on in terms of our transitions and that can be through you know most exemplified in our counter-attack but um you know having those kind of outlets rather than having loads of little mini technically savvy footballers who get to the edge of the box and in Wenger's later years started to struggle because we faced deep blocks and actually couldn't always break them down. Whereas when you've got Vieira and Henri and Pires, we didn't even need to face that because they'd have a corner and then we'd score, you know, that kind of vibe. And and I completely buy in to what he's saying with that. I don't think it should be a gimme that we go down the kind of, you know, technically proficient role that is about possession-based football I think we need to bulk up our athleticism and uh, focus on that. Whatever we do, we need to quicken our play. <laughs> We're so slow in our um, in our build up, and that's what why I think one of the reasons we're quite easy to defend against at the moment. We're not scoring as as many goals. Yeah, look the the Arsene Wenger philosophy way back in the day was uh, he wanted to have the most technically gifted players that could play their way around teams and win. And then if they couldn't do that, he wanted to have the fittest players and we would yeah. always destroy teams in the last 15 minutes. And he achieved that by training players um, to match levels in the week, which actually led to uh, a side effect of having players break down by Christmas because we were always training to such an, you know, a high intensity. And uh, like playing possession football for me doesn't mean that you have a bunch of Santi Cazorlas in the starting 11. I think having um, the possession football is like, you need to have a footballing philosophy because a footballing philosophy from the first team down to the under nines 
gives you consistency. It teaches you, it teaches all your players. So when people get into the first team, they know how to play. Um, and it means that it, it gives you a good filter for how you sign players and it gives you a filter for, for who you coach. And then you can do what Leipzig do. Everybody knows the Leipzig way in the system. So where Nagelsmann leaves, somebody else comes in and they already know how to pick up the pieces. Um, I actually think that Mikel Arteta wanted to take the City model and I think he wanted to add um, more power and athleticism. And I don't think the signings that we've brought in um, go against that. Thomas Partey is uh, technically gifted, but an athlete. Gabriel uh, at, at the back, like extremely athletic. Even Martin Odegaard on loan, he might be small, but he can move around the pitch uh, like with great speed. So I, I absolutely I agree with your friend. Like the the athletic profile has got to be part of um, of how we filter for players moving forward. Because I don't think the you know Manchester City can get away with having smaller players in pockets because they're so fucking good. But we can't afford that level of player. So there has to be um, a bit of a balance. Um, but yeah, I, I I would love to go back to um, having athletes, and I really hope that when they sign a right back this summer, it's someone that can move up and down the wing with like elite levels of pace. I hope that the midfield partner we sign that sits next to Thomas Partey next season has more mobility than Granite Shaka, um, and I hope that we bring William Saliba back and give him games because at the yeah. moment. We've got David Luis, who's got absolutely no pace. David Luis makes a big error. What you know, it, at least once every seven or eight games. Like we probably, you know, if we get the same as that with Saliba next season, would you care? Uh, like, who, who would you prefer to be making errors? The player that can become the the new uh, Van Dijk, or the player the like can, was part of the team that conceded seven goals in a World Cup semi final. Absolutely. I know where I'm putting my money next season. Yeah. But if yeah. Arteta does go young, Arsenal fans have got to remember that. And I think sometimes we're unforgiving of young players. Maitland-Niles has a bad game um, at left-back and everyone's savaging him on online. You know, Reese Nelson has a, has a bad game and he's you know the worst player ever. Eddie Nketiah doesn't get any love. And I, you know, I admit he's probably not of the highest standard, but Arsenal fans talk out of both sides of their mouths. And I think that that's why you don't get as many young players given chances because if Aziz comes into that midfield today and it's 1-1 and West Brom don't get relegated, what is the online reaction? Yeah, but I mean, so there's a few things um, I'll push back on. Number one um, is just on the Erdegaard thing because um, I agree with your point overall about the profile of player we've signed. Thomas Party fits that you know, technically gifted, but athletic. Erdegaard's not athletic, man. He's slow. <laughs> he's think he's slow. slow? Yeah, he's I do. Fast. I think, no, I think he's slow. Like, when you see Smith Rowe moving past player, he moves. Like, he, he's got a... Erdegaard can't run away from anyone. He He's like a Christian Eriksen level of athlete. And if you've got ex- excellent technical proficiency, it's not like I'm saying you can't exist in the league and do well. He can, but he isn't going to be fit in that athletic profile I don't think and and hence why I say should we be looking at a Pereira for instance as opposed to an Erdegaard because um, I think Erdegaard is much easier to stop in the Premier League and we've seen how damaging um, you know strong and quick athletes as well as technically sound players can be in the Premier League Um, so 
In terms of what was what was your other point, by the way, just at the end there, I've just my mind's just gone blank. Um, that you finished on. I've just blanked on whatever oh, I just said. Yeah. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> okay. um, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just I was just but, gonna but say athletic profiles should definitely be um it should definitely be part of the mix um in, in the summer. And it's interesting to your mate's point again, it's like all of us in Wenger's success was built on power and pace. I mean, obviously, the technical ability comes comes with the territory, but it was so interesting to see him look at that Barcelona team that uh, you, you know that was so dominant under. Um, I, it, it wasn't even under Pep Guardiola, was it? It was. Um, it started with uh, Rijkaard, and yeah. and say, I want a piece of that, and then everything kind of went downhill from there. Because even if he. Um, even if he'd added a few powerful players to our midfield and our, our central defence um, in those years when we had the technical players up front, it would have been a different thing. And I actually think um, the thing with Arsene Wenger and that the adds to the point I was making about Vinay um, being passive is if Arsenal were a little bit more proactive uh, it, from 2010 said, Arsene, things aren't looking good we're going to bring in some new coaches that we want you to work with because you need to refresh that backroom team to keep up with it. Um, you know, th- these were the years when like Thomas Tuchel was uh, assistant at Mainz or whatever. Just bringing in some of that fresh thinking, that could have saved Wenger's career. That could have extended it out. That could have won us a league um, in 2015, 2016. That could have won us a league in 2012, 2013. You know, it's um, passive leadership at Arsenal has cost us so much. And not moving quick enough has also... Um, cost us the same it was ultimately the difference between Wenger and Ferguson you know Ferguson literally set out as an agenda uh, uh, his um, keenness to hire people that would challenge him to keep developing on what he had whereas Wenger by the end hired yes men to per- to preserve what he, the power he already had and that's why Ven- uh, Ferguson kept winning till the end Whereas Wenger, you know, yes, we won some FA Cups, but it wasn't, we didn't win the league in the last decade he was there. So I've also remembered the point you made, which I did want a little pushback on, and that was about, you know, if Arteta plays the kids, then the fans need to understand that. I don't think they, I don't think as fans we talk out the side of our mouths as much as it might be seen. I think part of it comes down to the fact that no one is calling just for kids to be played for the sake of it. Like, for instance, if you're telling me, oh, it's the end of the season, let's give Eddie Nketiah or Reese Nelson the next four games. No, no one wants to see that. Because for me, they're done. Like, get them out. They have. Sh- My issue, why I- I'm keen for Martinelli to get game time. I'm keen to see Saliba. I'm keen to... These guys haven't been given a chance. Even Maitland-Niles hasn't been given a chance properly in this setup. And it's great when you're winning, you can justify it. When you're not, you've got to be held accountable for these... Um, uh, decisions because ultimately they should at least be given a chance before we start moving on from them. Whereas someone like Eddie Nketiah, for me, I think he's been given enough of a chance and I think he's shown himself not really to be of the required level. I don't think a change in manager is going to change that. So it's not just like play any kids and we'll be happy. It's play kids that we haven't seen. Show, Like you said, show us something we haven't seen before and let us be at least intrigued by what's going on and interested to see whether someone new is going to be the next breakthrough. At the end of the day, most of us just want some 
excitement and anticipation at, at, at what could be, because otherwise we're left what is, left with what is, and that just does not cut the mustard this season. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's I, I don't want to see a Galaxy brain plan for Granit Xhaka, a left back. Just, just not... It's not going to get me out of bed. Um, but I would like to see uh, more solutions that involve um, young players getting game time somewhere along the line. You know, like Arsene Wenger used to hire talented young kids on the wing. Um, I would love to see, like, Flo, Flo Balogun should be coming on for the last 20 minutes. Play him on the, play him on the wing. The fact Definitely. that he's not... He didn't sign... To, to sit on the bench. Uh, you know, well, he didn't sign because he thought he was going to sit on the bench for the next three years. It's just really odd that Arteta doesn't go, so you know, just, just bring him into the mix. Um, all right. Well, that, that was a, that was, that was a, a fun podcast. Um, I, I saw your latest guest on, uh, on your, how's your father podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That was a, a, a bit of a coup. Yes, indeed. Um, the wonderful Paul Tonkinson joins me this week. Um, ex Big Breakfast presenter. Um, well, I say ex, it doesn't exist anymore. That's why. That's why he's not doing it. Um, and uh, he's yeah, wonderful guest, really insightful, talking about um, what it was like being a parent and um, uh, at a time when he was having those big shows that he was working on and how he managed um, to kind of marry the worlds of career and ambition. Um, in that field with his responsibilities as a dad. And yeah, it was just really, really insightful. I thought it was a great little chat. So hopefully those that listen to it will find it the same way. And it's available where you get all your podcasts. So the How's Your Father podcast, check it out, people. Wonderful. Um, That was a good chat. Thank you for joining, Johnny. Appreciate your thoughts as always. Um, We're going to have to work out now we don't have Thursday night football. What's the deal? We can't just do this once a week. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn up at my wife on a Thursday evening. And go, I'm back. <laughs> what what do we do? <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll we'll work out a new way of doing things. I'm sure. Awesome. Um, and on that note, thank you for listening. Uh, go to iTunes, give us a five star rating. And if you don't want to do that, then we'll just see you next week for an on the whistle. Oh no, we've got an on the whistle for Wednesday, Chelsea. There we go. We're doing an on the whistle for Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel. Uh, one of Legrove's um, original uh, man crushes back in the day. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Arteta going to be able to turn over the team that just beat Manchester City? We'll find out, but we'll definitely have some opinion after. So on that note, ciao for now. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.